0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Fitness Lit Breakdown. Now, I hope you uh, guys enjoyed the last episode with my friend, Dr. Josh Elzey. Hopefully, you took away some good takeaway messages there that allowed you to kind of maybe recondition your brain a little bit about what we're using movement for, right? To hopefully feel better after and during the workout than you did before. And this one kind of syncs up a little bit with that notion of I think we've all been at some point in time um at least I have for sure of thinking if the workout was worth it based off of soreness. So using soreness as kind of the main indicator of the value of the workout that was just performed, right? And most of us we have known if we've worked out resistance training wise or maybe you know really intense um aerobic or anaerobic type of sprinting or whatever that might look like might be sore, you know, 24 to 48 hours after that delayed onset muscle soreness, really using that as, um, the main score for assessing the workout. Right. And I think we've all been there for sure. And obviously there's some things that happen as part of that, right. I mean, and I'll kind of break down all of the things that, are related to that delayed onset muscle soreness as a result from the exercise-induced muscle damage that took place, right? Because yes, when we have soreness, something inside or around the muscle was likely broken down. You're not kind of walk through what may have been broken down and what causes soreness around um, the damage to those tissue, um, but also give you kind of a, a really different perspective on what actually takes place even if that muscle soreness isn't present. And I think it might surprise you. So a little, little foreshadowing here of, of should you be using soreness as the best indicator for progress or is soreness maybe not really the end all be all, um, when it comes to progressing through a workout program and if it's valuable or not. So let's dive into some of the details. I found this paper. It's a little bit older. And it was published in 2013, Um, but I think it answers a lot of questions and it's really cool to look into um, all the research that was done around this paper to describe, you know, what happens after there is soreness. Do those things still happen if soreness is not present and what might soreness actually inhibit you doing moving forward while you're sore in the days after the workout when you're still sore, right? So something cool that I think you're gonna have a lot of interest in and some value in understanding this process that is going to maybe keep in your brain as you're you're working and t- continuing through your training program. So now the most common reference, like I mentioned before, to that soreness is called delayed onset muscle soreness. And you've likely known if you work out, you know, currently and you're consistent with exercise, you might get sore every now and then, right? But most of the time you're not that sore. So are you doing enough to continue to get stronger? And my answer is, is likely yes, depending on your training variables. But most of the time we get sore when we're doing something unfamiliar, right? Or we've kind of changed the training program to where maybe it's more intense or more overall work or volume, right? To where we're, we're taxing the tissue at a much higher rate than we typically do. So think of it as either unfamiliar or maybe like a novel or a new movement you haven't done or done in a long time, or you've really increased the workload <clears throat> comparatively to what you've done in the past month or a few weeks or whatever it might look like, right? And that's really the, the biggest thing too. And if you're beginning something, right, if you think about maybe you took a hiatus, you took a six month hiatus from training and you're getting back into it in the first week or two, you're really sore all the time. Right? because you're, you're placing load on those tissues that haven't had that kind of a load in a long time. So the likely there is some damage to the, the muscle itself, the me- mechanisms inside of the muscle that create tension or force or the connective tissue around it. Um, but our capacity to adapt on a whole body kind of scope, especially specific to the muscle, is pretty incredible. And within a couple of weeks after getting back into a routine, you're likely not as sore or sore at all like you were before, right? So what's going on in there? So first, when you think about, you know, what are some of the current theories that relate that delayed onset muscle soreness to what might be occurring within the muscle to adapt and become stronger? So you progress through a training program, right? And you can look at many different ways. The first is thinking of it as, you know, what was actually damaged? When you look at the tissue, the the kind of the connective tissue, and that could be the fascia. And that's just kind of a really thin tendinous layer that surrounds um, muscle fibers, kind of the whole muscle as a whole and each individual fiber that helps you transmit the the force from the muscle to the bone. So you can move and resistance train and run all that kind of stuff. Right. Now that connective tissue can uh, establish these small, it's called micro tears in that tissue. And that can, what's called sensitize, very specific receptors in that area, um, that provide a signal of pain to the nervous system. Okay. They're called nociceptors and you kind of heighten their awareness due to these small micro tears. Okay. And when you think about those tears taking place, they may kind of increase the permeability of what's can be moved inside and inside, inside and outside of the cell. And when that happens, you might have additional things that are in and out of areas where they're not typically, and that can lead to inflammation, right? So, kind of a lot of stuff going on in an area where it may not be typically taking place, and inflammation can take place, right? And that can also happen within the muscle cell itself if we're damaging the what's called the contractile proteins, the The proteins within the muscle fiber that actually create the tension for you to make force and move things, those can be damaged as well. And a similar response can happen to where we're introducing um, proteins that are typically inside of the cell. Now they can go outside of the cell and the reverse can take place as well. And inflammation can be a response to that, which can also lead to edema, right? When we're accumulating additional fluid around a very specific area. And that can change the pressure around that area, right? If we're getting too much pressure in that area, it can sensitize those pain and pressure receptors, transmit that information back to the nervous system, and you feel pain, you feel soreness, okay? So those are some things that can occur due to damage that's taken place, right? Exercise-induced muscle damage that is related to delayed onset muscle soreness, okay? So those are some of the kind of the theories that are in place that, are out there right now that relate those two together. Now they also might be caused, like I mentioned before, by something that's being done, that's new to a training program, doing more work or intensity of a training program. And they're also highly related to the eccentric component of, of the movement, the lengthening phase, when the muscle lengthens under a load. And what that might look like eccentric wise is the negative kind of the, the gym term, right? The, the, lowering of a bench press, the lowering of a squat, the lowering of a deadlift. Um, when the muscle is lengthening under a load and therefore the, the mechanical properties inside of the muscle are stretching and having to try and maintain some kind of connection. And when that connection is lost, a tear or a kind of a destruction of that specific muscle protein may, may occur, right. Which can lead to that exercise induced muscle damage, which can then be related to DOMS. Okay. So, Typically it's eccentric and it's going to depend on a lot of things, right? There's a large variability between muscles themselves. Some muscles, I'll I'll talk about this later on, are more likely to get sore compared to others. It might just depend on the kind of the structure of the muscle, maybe more aerobic in nature. So it has the capacity to kind of withstand longer periods of workload before fatiguing. It may depend on the training status. So where are you in your training status? Are you brand new to training? Are you a beginner? Are you training for, have you been training consistently for over a year, but now you decide to totally switch up your routine or introduce some new movements that you haven't done before, or just haven't done in a long time and our genetics, right? We're all individually different. Some of us have some kind of, you know, superhuman free capacity to recover between workouts and, or not get sore. Others might be more susceptible to getting sore. Um, just based off of our cellular capacity to replicate, regenerate, and and recover from a specific workload. So genetics does play a part. But now we kind of have to keep in mind is the relationship between the soreness and the exercise-induced muscle damage are those two always related, right? That's kind of where this paper does a good job of kind of talking about this. So let's dive into some of these details because this is where it gets, starts to get really interesting because we start to look at what happens inside of our physiology, what takes place to repair and recover, but does it have to rely on soreness to be there for those things to still take place? That's where the, the, the devil's in the details. So we do know, here's some things we do know, that exercise-induced muscle soreness can influence gene expression. And all I mean by that is if we have some damage that takes place, what is being sent to the damaged site, what genes are being replicated, what things are taking place in that area to either promote recovery and repair, or to either that in or protect against further injury. Right. And what I mean by that is what are we doing to repair it? How can we do it to repair it better and stronger? To where we're essentially not having to tear down the city every single time to rebuild it. Right. Cause at the start that might take place, but it doesn't really make sense long-term to continue to break down over and over and over again to rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Maybe we can get to a certain point where we can be strong enough foundationally and then build from there without having to tear down the city each time, okay? So we do know that that exercise-induced muscle damage, the mechanisms, like I mentioned before, take place, where leading to muscle hypertrophy, right? Getting larger um, muscles, And doing so by what's called the accretion of contractile proteins. Essentially, we're making new proteins that the ones that were damaged within the muscle, those mechanical ones that create the tension and the force within the muscle, we can create, we can repair and create more of those, which leads to a larger, more stronger muscle. Okay. Um, We also know that when we start talking about the damage and there's inflammation in that area, right there are things that are sent to that area, one of which is a microphage. And it's kind of, think of this as like a a little guy that comes up to clean up all the mess, kind of the the custodian, if you will, of our physiology that comes in in response to damage. And that along with other things that are produced and released in that area um, are shown to repair damaged muscle. Um, But those aren't always, here's, here's another part too, those aren't always present just due to damage. They may be present there without muscle damage as well. Okay. So that's kind of a, a little sneak peek to that as well. Now in, a, in, a, uh, coordination with those, we also have what's called satellite cells. And these are cells specific to our physiology that are essentially stem cells of the muscle. So whatever kind of protein that has been damaged and needs repaired, these cells can come in, they can turn into that very specific piece of equipment and they can repair the damaged area. Okay. So we have cells that come in to clean it up, other cells that come in to create the new proteins. And then therefore you can create a environment that can do that amount of work that you placed in terms of stress to that tissue and hopefully more, right? That's the kind of the goal. So those satellite cells that come in response to the damage are definitely upregulated in response to that exercise induced muscle damage. Now here's the key. Okay, that does take place, but it also, those satellite cells also are responsive when there is no muscle damage. Okay. (laughs) So there is some signal within the muscle sent to the nervous system, right? That yes, when there is muscle damage, those things take place. These satellite cells come in, they create these new proteins, they build back a specific piece of equipment and therefore you become more fit, more strong to handle the next load. But the satellite cells are also going to be called to do that duty, even if there is no damage as well. Okay. And the result is still muscle hypertrophy. The muscle still gets larger, even without the muscle damage. So this, the stress placed upon the muscle in the connective tissue in the bone, in that area that's been taxed in order to maintain your capacity to do that specific workload and hopefully a little more can still take place without muscle damage. Okay. And I don't know the specific pathway to that. The authors didn't dive into that uh, portion of our physiology. I'm not familiar with all the cascade of events that is taking place. I could probably dive in and do another episode on that, but that has been known to take place with or without exercise induced muscle damage. So satellite cells are going to come either way. Okay. That is pretty daggone cool right? I think that's that's kind of mind-blowing. Now, when you also look at along the lines of delayed onset muscle soreness and the damage that's taken place within the muscle itself, if we are always using that as tracking our progression in a workout program, We do know that when there's exercise-induced muscle damage within that muscle, our capacity to do work diminishes, and depending on how much of um, damage has been taken place, it may even reduce our capacity to do that required load by up to 50% is what I'm reading in this paper right here, Um, and that could last up to three weeks, up to a month, depending on how much damage was done. Um, depending on how much workload that you did more than you're typically doing. This is kind of on the very far right side of the scale, right? Um, But that has been shown to take place. And if you're unable, this is I'm talking long-term consistency here. If you're decreasing your capacity to do the work over longer periods of time, that means you're doing less work, (laughs) right? And if we're doing less work, we're not placing the demand on the tissue that we possibly could be had we not induced so much damage and been sore frequently, then we essentially have less volume over time, which means we're never going to progress. We're just going to be kind of stuck in the area of a plateau or even kind of taking two steps back and one step forward. So if we're always judging that based off how sore we get, how much damage we can create, we actually reduce our capacity to do work over time consistently. Okay. I think that's one of the big takeaway messages, number one for not using this, using soreness as the end-all be-all for was your workout worth it or not, right? Um, That should make sense, right? Not to say that we shouldn't aim to get sore every now and then because we're likely going to introduce new movements. We're likely going to introduce a greater workload, right? Either volume or intensity or time under tension or any of those variables we talked about in previous episodes to continue to improve but making sure we may be only choosing one of those at a time, right? Do you progress with more overall work and add in new movements? Sure. You probably could, but is the, you know, juice worth the squeeze in that instance, right? Or is the soreness in the the damage you're inducing to the tissue going to reduce your capacity to do more work the next day and the day following and the week following compared to, Hey, let's just take it more conservatively. Let's, add volume here, but keep movements, you know, with little variation, but add more volume or do we introduce new movements, but maybe keep volume a little bit lower. I think that allows us to maybe tread, you know, just dip our toes into the water to gauge the temperature, to see how we respond to either or or both of those workloads. Right. Um, Because yes, we're probably going to be sore just in general, but we don't want it to be linked to too much exercise induced muscle damage because you can get sore without having too much damage or any damage at all. That's been shown to take place as well. Okay. Um, I need to find where that was here in this paper. Yeah. So with the inflammation in response to the damage that I mentioned before, um, that may take place after soreness has already came and gone. Okay. So it's not, directly always linked to that inflammation in terms of the uh, soreness factor. And if any damage was taking place within that area um, for, you know, that soreness to to take place. So very interesting on that end too. Okay. Something else that the authors kind of uh, hinted at here as well was I'll kind of read it here. Studies show that soreness, as reported on a visual scale. So they kind of gave people like, hey, here's zero to 10, 10 being as sore as possible, zero being no, no soreness. That was poorly correlated with both the time course and the magnitude of markers of muscle damage. Okay. And they also measured like maximal isometric strength. So like you producing as much force during a movement um as possible like maybe there's a bar a stationary bar and you're trying you're basically curling it the bar is not moving but you're producing as much force into the bar as possible um and they saw that that was a poor correlation with soreness and either your capacity to do that work and do it at a high level or those measures of uh muscle soreness so very interesting right kind of going back to the statement we made before um about let me find it again here real quick um, about the satellite cells being in the area of damage, whether uh, there was damage or not, <laughs> right? They're coming either way, just in response to the workload that was done to that specific area. Um, something else that what they had added here as well, not really scientifically backed, but more so anecdotally uh, or coaching kind of backed when they looked at um, the, the kind of, inter-individual variability here when you look at people to people and especially those of kind of bodybuilders. Um, If you look at that style of training, yes, like volume is mega high and workload is really high. But when you, and I'm kind of citing from this paper here that I'm reading was that, you know, many bodybuilders will say that some muscles are very prone to soreness. Some never get sore, no matter how much work I do but there's always improvement in muscle size and strength, regardless of if I get sore or if I don't get sore. Okay. So that can be, you know, piggybacking upon what we're talking about earlier. Yes. Soreness is related to these things happening to promote improvements in muscle size and strength, just from the repair and rebuilding process. But that, that rebuilding or building process will take place. If even if you're not sore. Okay. So don't make soreness your only indicator of improvement. Um, we've also looked at in the literature as well, if you look at different muscle lengths, whereas if you're, you're taxing a muscle when it's lengthened at a further position, like eccentrically, right? Yes, there is more soreness and damage with that followed by improvements in size and or strength. But if you were to tax the muscle at a shorter muscle length maybe you're not going through a full range of motion where you really lengthen the muscle eccentrically as much as you possibly can or through a full range of motion we still see improvements in muscle size and strength with essentially minimal or no soreness taking place so we're still getting improvements in hypertrophy and strength with little to no soreness again just by changing the, the way in which we're taxing the muscle at a specific length but, so that is another kind of Piggybacking reason to say, hey muscle uh soreness isn't a great indicator for improvement okay um and again, the authors again kind of <clears throat> go back to if we're chronically or consistently sore are the psychological component of being mentally in uh kind of psych psych psychological, uh, psycholo- the, the psychological component <laughs> If just the, the wear and tear mentally of always being sore and having to start moving our muscles when we're continuously sore, that's not a very appealing uh, position to be in right. Always being sore. Now, some, some people might like that, but I'm gonna, I'm going to guess that most people don't want to be always sore and stiff. Um, the motivation to exercise will start to diminish over time um, just from the battle of always being sore. So doing too much damage that creates too much soreness over time, is that worth it in terms of being consistent? longer periods of time. Because we all know it's all about consistency, how much work we're doing, right? The volume of work, and those being the kind of the biggest indicators for continual improvement um, over time. If we if we decrease our consistency due to not being able to, to do as much workload, right? If there's too much damage, our muscles can't do as much work. And if we're too sore over too many time points, our motivation will diminish. Uh, so those are, that's kind of the author's argument to not gauging your, uh, workouts purely off of soreness. And that's kind of mine as well. I kind of think of movement. Yes. You're going to get sore sometimes, right? Sometimes we're going to do new movements. Sometimes we're going to switch up the routine, right? Sometimes we're going to do more work than we typically do. All three of those are going to, at some point in time, create soreness. It might really create a lot of soreness with one person might create a little bit of soreness with another person. Um, that's mainly just because we're taxing the physiology in a different format than we've done before. And that is going to create the soreness based off of muscle damage. But if you're very consistent and you're doing, you know, very similar basic movements over time, like your squats and your deadlifts, and you're loading those very similarly, and you're doing week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, right? Progressively overloading those over time, your likelihood for getting sore, goes down, right? You're probably hardly ever getting sore, maybe just a little bit, but your improvement continues to, to happen. Okay. So that really shows that DOMS is more related to the newness or the novelty of a movement or the overall work that you that you're doing compared to what you typically do, compared to, hey, it's just based off of the damage take place, right? Because those things that happen with inner physiology to build the muscle are going to happen regardless of if you're sore or not. Yes, they do happen as a result to the damage, but they still happen without the muscle damage. Very interesting stuff. Okay. So, um, again, this paper is titled is post exercise muscle soreness, a valid indicator of muscular adaptations, um, authors, Brad Schoenfield and Brett Contreras. I'll be sure to put the citation in the notes. Um, so if you want to go back and read the entire episode, you'll have that capacity to do so. Um, if you have any questions on anything we talked about these last 25 or 30 minutes or so, um, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. I'm happy to kind of extend that conversation if you want. Um, all right. So thanks again for another week of joining the fitness slip breakdown podcast. Um, come back next week. I'm dialing up another episode, um, related kind of to like, not so much as if you don't use it, you lose it, but things that may take place if you're not doing something consistently compared to, Hey, what if you are doing this consistently for up to something like six months, right? What are some things that you'll see improvement in? What are some things that you'll see will diminish over that short period of time, six months, it's kind of, you know, not not really that long in terms of time, but some serious things can and likely will happen. So thanks again, guys, for joining and uh, have an awesome one. Mm -hmm.